Hello, this is Harry Thomason, and welcome to The Story You Never Heard, executive produced by Benji Gaither and Douglas Jackson. On this podcast, we'll tell you stories about the world, your country, your people, and things that happened long ago and not so long ago. Stories you probably never heard until now. Here's tonight's tale. Henry Box Brown, The Traveler. There have been several articles in newspapers and magazines in the past month about a young man who in the 1970s shipped himself home to the United Kingdom from Australia because he was homesick and he didn't have enough money for a plane ticket. It was a great story, but I vaguely remembered as an ex-history teacher about another man who wanted to escape and used a similar method. As I looked it up, I realized the man I was thinking of was probably the first to do what he did. His name was Henry Brown, and he was 29 years old, and on March the 29th, 1849, he pulled off a daring stunt. Henry was different. He was born a slave in Richmond, Virginia, and when he was 15, his masters had him begin working in a tobacco factory. Over the years, he even got married and had a couple of children with another slave also owned by his, quote, masters. He had almost what seemed like a normal life. He was quite good at what he did, with a reputation for competence and intelligence. He was eventually trusted as a slave to run errands and deliver items to the outside world, something he loved, something that would prove essential to his daring deed. Even though they trusted him, Brown still endured cruel overseers and lived in constant fear of the whip and suffered verbal and physical abuse. The final straw came when, despite his owner's promise to never do so, Brown's pregnant wife and three children were sold to a plantation in North Carolina. Hours after he dined with his family at the breakfast table, they were forever separate. The imitation of life he had built was destroyed, and in the coming months, Henry Brown had had enough. I was weary of my bonds and earnestly panted for liberty, of which by the cruel hand of slavery, I and millions of my fellow men had been robbed. In March of the subsequent year, Brown decided to do something about his feelings. He wanted out, out of the plantation and out of slavery. He put a plan into action. During his work activities, he often called upon a white shopkeeper named Samuel Smith. Now Smith, who ironically was a slave owner himself, was somebody who really personally liked Brown, and he would prove an unlikely participant in the slave's mission. For a fee, $86 out of Brown's total savings of $166 to be exact, Smith, after hearing Brown's plan, agreed to help. The shopkeeper in turn contacted a man named James Miller McKim, a Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia. He was a leader in the abolitionist movement. The minister agreed to receive a package Samuel Smith was going to send him. Now it was up to Brown to execute his plan. All he needed was a little help and a box. On March the 29th, 1849, Henry Brown's ship with Smith's help, the package promised to Reverend McKim. While many American slaves looked toward the Underground Railroad as a means of freedom, Brown decided to go a different route, the regular, above-ground, actual railway railroad. If all went right, 
when Reverend McKim opened the package in Philadelphia, it would contain Henry Brown. Brown intentionally burned his hand with sulfuric acid in order to miss out on work and instead packed himself into the box. He placed in the box the very minimum things he needed, a leather canteen filled with water, some biscuits, and a small drill to make more holes in the box if the ones he had already drilled did not supply enough air. He also painted on the box in large letters, this side up with care, a sign no one apparently paid any attention. Over the next 28 hours, he was in the custody of the Adams Express Company, a company that still exists today as an investment company, but then it was a shipping company. As the crate made its way from Richmond to Philadelphia, it was transported by wagon three times, rail three times, and ferry and steamboat one time each. For the entire hot, terrible, dark trip, he was knocked around and thrown about the box. He later wrote an account that seemed like a dark comedy. He heard one of the group of shippers decide to leave the box in storage overnight, but then another worker entered and insisted it was an express package and has to go out tonight. He felt himself jerked from the storage and dropped onto the boat, with his head at the bottom, all of his weight bearing down on his head and his neck. I felt my eyes swelling as they felt if they would burst from their socket, and the veins on my temples were dreadfully distended with blood pressure. He couldn't cry out in pain or try to rearrange himself or he would be discovered. Thankfully, after an hour and a half, he heard two passengers complaining about the crowded boat and that they had no place to even sit. They turned his box on its side to create a makeshift bench to sit on. It was such a relief. He heard them wonder what might be in the box underneath them. One of them said, well, it's probably mail. Henry Brown thought, yes, you're right. There's a mail in here. At the end of this harrowing 28-hour journey and bruised and aching after being tossed about, his box is deposited in the lobby of a church frequented by members of the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society. Soon, he hears several people quietly coming into the church. They stand around silently, and then he hears someone walk up and touch the crate. He hopes it's Reverend McKell. Finally, a whisper. This is Brother McKell. Is all right within? Brown hesitated a moment, praying it was all true and then whispered a very soft, all right. Then Reverend McKelm and the group scurried around, releasing the five hickory hooks binding the container shut. So contorted, sore, bloody, and exhausted, a relieved Henry Brown rose from the box and immediately fainted. He was nursed and housed a few days by a Quaker, Passmore Williams, and after he was feeling okay, he headed to New York and on to Boston to meet other abolitionists like William Steele, author of the Underground Railroad, who helped with Henry Brown's escape and later immortalized it in his book. Brown gave lectures to abolitionists and slave sympathizers all across the Northern states. He was good. Soon he wrote an autobiography with the help of a ghostwriter, Charles Stearns. It sold over 8,000 copies in two months, and Henry would be known afterward and forever as Henry Box Brown. Soon, he began performing a panoramic stage show titled 
Mirror on Slavery, reenacting his adventure with lecturing and narrating and acting as 49 giant canvas scrolls of scenes from slave ships to the travails of the plantations moved across the states. Crowds loved it. One critic said, the real life-like scenes presented in the panorama are admirably calculated to make an unfading impression on your heart and memory, such as no lecture book or colloquial correspondence can produce. Henry Box Brown was the star. But soon, the good life collapsed. His slave-owning partner in the escape, Samuel Smith, was arrested and jailed for helping him escape. Two weeks later, the Fugitive Act of 1850 was passed by the United States Senate, a horrible law that required governments and citizens in free states to return escaped slaves to their owners. His former masters were closing in on Henry quickly obtained a passport and booked a one-way passage to London. He ended up there for almost 25 years, marrying an Englishwoman, and continued to make his living in the theater. He performed his Mirror on Slavery show, but also developed another show called African Chief, where he is a supposed descendant of African royalty who wears elaborate garments and jewelry in the production. Later, he came to love Houdini and magic, and the show did a highly successful turn into a Houdini magic-style show, which included escapes from shackles, objects disappearing in boxes, and sleight-of-hand tricks, and hypnotism. In 1875, he finally moved back to America and performed his highly popular magic act in theaters all across the U.S. and Canada. Henry Box Brown died in Toronto in 1897. After 40 years, as a popular performer, full of the same creativity that set the young man free on that day all those many years before. Well, that's our story for tonight, and we hope you will join us next week for another story you never heard. We hope you found it interesting. If this is your first time here, why not check out the rest of our catalog? We've been at this for about a year now and have some great stories in previous episodes. If you like what you hear, be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and leave us a review wherever you're listening. You can find us on almost any platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or any other. If you'd like to help us as we research and write more exciting episodes, please consider going to our home base at anchor.f m slash t-s-y-n-h and clicking on the support button you can help by contributing as little as 99 cents a month consider it but if you can't do it that's okay because we'll always be free and we appreciate each and every one of you and thank you for giving us your time each week and we'll see you next week with a brand new story you never heard have a good night everyone Come visit us on the web at thestoryyouneverheard.com and facebook.com slash T-S-Y-N-H. This show is executive produced by Benji Gaither and Douglas Jackson. Our technical consultant and website administrator is John Balderston, and Justin Nichols is our editor.